it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in the world of supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After our discussion, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. James Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock was doing. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. James Stock to learn about his work. As an academic in the field of transportation, logistics, and now what we call supply chain management, Jim was well-connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in this space. Jim did interviews with many of these original thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you on Supply Chain is Boring. Now, if I could have your children, your three children here, and ask them this question, how do you think they would answer? Uh, the question would be, describe your father. What would they say? Well, that's a good question. They, uh, it would probably be based on what they've observed. Um, I, I think they would say, uh, maybe not in these words, but um, strongly devoted to our mother, um, supportive, um, intolerant of uh, chaos. Um, they have seen me uh, at the um, immigration entrance in the Dallas airport uh, try to organize crowds of hundreds of people into orderly lines <laughs> while they were cringing over in the corner embarrassed to death. Um, And were you able to do that, by the way? You know, it's amazing what one or two people can do. Yes. <laughs> it took, uh, uh, in a milling crowd, if you say stop, people will generally stop. <laughs> um, I think that um, Those are some of the things they'd say. Okay. Now, looking back at your parents and you as a parent, do you think you were more like your mother or your father as a parent to your children? Well, I think probably more like my father. Um, uh, less, uh, is more straightforward. Um, person of fewer words. Um, but um, the words count, that sort of thing. Uh, that was that was what my father was all about, and um, so I think I think uh, he probably was a greater influence on me than my mother. Mm -hmm. Now we've mentioned and talked about Maryland several times, and you mentioned going to the uh, discussion groups at the faculty members' house. How did you mm -hmm. first meet her? And uh, I'm assuming that was not your first date. 
with her to that discussion group. No. Oh, I saw her across a, a room in a uh, fast food restaurant and uh, appealed to a friend of who was uh, actually going with one of her friends to set up a blind date mm -hmm. for us. So uh, the four of us um, went to a Louis Armstrong concert. Actually, it was a dance, although we didn't dance, as I recall. And that was our first meeting. So I literally met her at the door of her dormitory. That was when we first met. Uh, very good. And 54 years later, it still <laughs> continues. It's amazing how these yes. things happen, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> now, so sort of general questions. Um, um, you're, you're a well-read man, and you've been involved in lots of activities and so forth. If you could live in any historical era of the past, when and where would it have been? Well, I think uh, one of those times would have been uh, Paris in the 20s. And uh, during that time of, uh, of uh, or maybe in the late in the 1890s, during the, the time of uh, uh, tremendous cultural development and uh, discussion and, and the like. Um, if you could be anyone in history, who would you choose to be? Oh boy, anyone in history. What a question. Huh? <laughs> Where there's no wrong answers. Yeah, right. <laughs> the kind well, students love. I see. Well, I, I suspect that um, uh, it would have been pretty hard to, uh, to match Abraham Lincoln on that score um, for all kinds of reasons that uh, are probably reasonably apparent. Okay. And if you had a, an opportunity of meeting any historical person that had lived, who would that have been? And sit down for an hour and just discuss. Well, in this regard, uh, I, I'll give you a really an idiosyncratic answer because uh, I was, being a jazz musician, uh, there were certain giants mm. in okay. that field that Nevertheless, were um, extremely uh, uh, well versed in a variety of topics, and on my instrument, Charlie Parker was okay. uh, one of those icons um, whom I never saw perform. And uh, so I'd uh, I'd give a lot to be able to sit down with him for an hour mm -hmm. if he'd if he'd say anything to me. Oh, I'm sure he'd have lots to say from his experiences. <laughs> um, now, from Jim Heskett, the person, we talked earlier in, in, uh, about a number of areas. Um, other than being a musician, is there any other what we call intriguing fact or little known bit of information about Jim that people would uh, like to hear? Well, I suppose... Uh uh, another would be uh, the uh, uh, devoted Red Sox fan. Ah, um, okay. We uh, 
try to be at opening day no matter where they are playing. We didn't make it to Tokyo um, last year, uh, but have made it to several other cities in the United States and uh, uh, maintain a part of a season ticket which uh, is administered by a colleague, a marketing colleague that you may be familiar with, a guy named Steve Grazer, who is mm -hmm. an equally strong Red Sox fan, and uh, a ticket that we have owned probably for 35 years, so uh, which is the way these tickets tend to, uh, tend to work uh, with the Red Sox. So a very devoted uh, Red Sox fan with at least one son who is equally devoted. Ah, okay. All right. So in looking both personally and professionally, if you had to limit yourself to one answer, what in your life would be the thing you were most proud of? Oh, I, I think, Jeff, maybe, maybe it's the body of work in several academic areas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one might say, well, you know, why didn't you work on one during mm -hmm. your lifetime and uh, really do a good job of it? But uh, what I've really tried to do is to develop um, uh, some bodies of knowledge in at least two areas that may have some longevity. Okay. Well, as you look back, you know, you've been highly productive your whole career in terms of articles, books, presentations, case studies, and so forth. Um, would you have done anything differently at this point? Well, I can't, I can't think about anything that I would have done differently. I, uh, I, I'm really uh, 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 excited about uh, uh, not only the way things have gone but the way things are going now and I uh, I don't have uh, significant enough regrets that would lead me to, to say that there's something that I wish I had done differently all right and so at some point in the future when there is no Jim Heskett anymore and we hope that's many years in the future how do you think people will remember you? Well, I've always joked that uh, that I'd like to have on my gravestone, uh, he came out even. Uh, <laughs> but um, I suppose we're, we're remembered uh, in, to some extent by our children, so I, I would certainly uh, like to be like I want them to have uh, uh, the greatest success. Um, uh, in terms of ideas, uh, I suspect uh, it, it would be contributions to the field, one or two contributions maybe to the field of logistics, some total cost analysis work or the service profit chain ideas in service management um, that would have some enduring use to someone, uh, recognizing the fact that uh, you know ideas go out of fashion 
very rapidly. Ah, uh, yes, they do. What do you do? You know, it's hard to believe you might have spare time, but all of us try to make time for yeah. hobbies or recreation. What do you do in your spare time? Well, I I like to garden if there is a place to garden. So, uh, and and that's a community activity. That's something that uh, that Marilyn likes to uh, to do. Uh, obviously, I do a lot of reading, mm -hmm. um, some for pleasure, but actually all of it uh, for enjoyment. Um, if I had the opportunity and the space. I would build a model railroad, something that I have planned to do for years. Uh, I still take, I, I get Model Railroader magazine every month and, and read it and, and salivate mm -hmm. and think about what I would do if I had the place for something like that. Um, uh, and obviously, uh, I enjoy music and practicing the piano and uh, uh, things of that sort, which are. And, and languages. I, I'm interested in languages that I suppose relate to travel destinations. Okay. Super. So you must have developed the interest in railroads while you were in transportation with Gate and Germain. I suppose, but uh, I had a I had a Lionel train when I was a kid ah, growing up okay. too. So uh, this goes back a ways, and uh, my father couldn't wait until I was. Uh, four or five, whatever the age was, too young uh, to have a model railroad mm -hmm. or a, a, a toy train. Okay. So it was for him, I think, not for me. Okay. Well, super. You mentioned relationships and people and other things. Uh, um, what role do you know cultural things, religious activities, uh, interfacing with friends and, and colleagues? What role does that play in the in the in the constitution of Jim Heskett? Oh well, the uh, obviously the um, uh, the kinds of activities in which you can exchange ideas are very important. So that involves friends, um, and uh, we we're fortunate in having friends strewn all over the world, so that when we travel, we can generally uh, uh, reconnect. Um, those kinds of relationships, experiences with our kids, um, the, uh, the, the kinds of uh, uh, things that occur in, uh, in community activities. Um, I've been a director of the Community Music Center of Boston and a charity called The Window Shop and uh, some other activities in and around Boston and those all uh, engage us with a number of other people too. My wife is a is a uh, on the board of a of a school called the North Bennett Street School, and that's a, another kind of community to which we relate. Um, uh, our condominium, uh, on which she serves as a board member, which brings us in closer contact with our neighbors. Um, so it really involves uh, ideas and people. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, um, as you look back at your career, 40 plus years in academic environment, what uh, would you say the the main lessons that you've learned?
Well, first of all, I think you have to be yourself. You have to march to your own beat. Um, if you wait for others to define your career for you, uh, you can wait a long time. And in, as you well know, um, you won't have a very successful institutional life uh, in the kinds of uh, activities in which we engage. Um, I think that uh, the, the whole idea of uh, carrying your own share of the load in terms of uh, uh, an academic community is really important. Um, uh, doing things that you really enjoy doing and are excited about getting out of bed in the morning to do uh, is, is really important. Uh, because those who are doing things because it requires jumping, the equivalent of jumping through a hoop, and um, are not enjoying it, uh, will communicate that, that it'll be reflected in their work. And um, uh, so I, there are uh, probably many other bits of advice, but I think you really have to. Uh, be quite uh, assertive in following those ideas about which you can really get excited. Mm -hmm. Now, some people look back and, and see turning points in their lives. It could be job change, military, birth of a child, marriage. Mm -hmm. What would be the turning points in Jim Heskett's life? Well, I suppose the, the biggest turning points uh, were the uh, point at which my army had buddy advised me to get an MBA, uh, which was preceded by my parents assuming that I would go to college, uh, and followed by the advice from Gate and Germain that I get a doctorate and follow an academic uh, career. Those would be probably the three biggest turning points for me. Unrelated, just a curiosity question. Did your uh, army friend who eventually uh, uh, was head of Catalina, mm -hmm. um, did he get an MBA from somewhere else? No. No. He did not ever pursue his MBA. Never got it. Okay. Didn't seem to have suffered very much. <laughs> no, I'm sure not. Um, as you know, here in uh, Harvard has a, a, a PhD program. Mm -hmm. What advice... Uh, would you give uh, PhD students today? Well, again, I think uh, uh, in a in a world of uh, uh, complexity that that we are engaged with today, uh, there are uh, huge numbers of opportunities for uh, research that really means something, and that. Uh, the advice that I would give a PhD is to keep your eye on the goal, that is, to finish. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, to select a dissertation topic uh, and uh, a research pattern uh, that is well structured, but also one about which you can you can be excited mm -hmm. because. Um, there are days when excitement is going to pull you through, 
uh, and allow you to survive. Um, try to do something useful, but not save the world uh, at the uh, at the level of the dissertation, um, because you have to remember to serve yourself as well. Now, from the when you and and uh, I entered the academic arena, you much earlier than me, um, the environment was different. What would yep. you say are the most significant changes you have that have occurred in the academic arena since you began your career? Well, uh, in the academic uh, arena, it seems to me that at least in business schools. Uh, we've become more closely engaged with the community that we study uh, and uh, in, in all kinds of ways. Uh, we've, we've probably uh, given uh, greater credence in recent years to empirical uh, research and in some cases anecdotal research. When I first entered the academic world uh, it was the world of the Ford and the Carnegie studies, and if you weren't uh, quantifying uh, and dealing with uh, quanti uh, quantitative methods, uh, you were basically a nobody. And so you, uh, we, we developed an entire generation of faculty that uh, were highly theoretical in what they did because facts, uh, empirical facts, I, this is perhaps a cynical statement, empirical facts I think sometimes impinged on the theoretical research that they were doing and obviously made it a lot messier too. Uh, I think we, we grew out of that era and we're in a probably a much more balanced era now. Um, I think the tyranny of, of uh, journal publication is still with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, which has led to some pretty esoteric uh, work uh, on the part of some people. But uh, it strikes me that in general, business schools are better grounded in the world in which uh, they, they uh, work and live and the world that we need to understand. Okay. Now, Jim, thus far, uh, we've been talking about issues that... Uh, We've discussed on all of our taping sessions with all the men and women that uh, um, I've talked to and will talk to in the future. Some specific questions to you based upon your interests and, and background. Um, coming out of a marketing area where you were in um, both in your program and in an early academic career, what caused you to bridge both uh, logistics and then the services marketing? arenas. How did you move from that? Well, uh, first of all, I, I think I had a natural interest in marketing because of that interest in retailing that I took with me into graduate school. And uh, that led to a, uh, a doctoral area in marketing. We had to have, uh, those were the days when you had to have four areas, two languages, and probably some other things that uh, don't necessarily exist uh, today. Uh, 
the transportation interest was uh, something that I acquired upon uh, arriving at graduate school and I suppose as I went through my MBA studies and, and into the uh, PhD program it, it occurred to me that uh, they really were so interconnected that there had to be a, a good topic a good area of study there and uh, fortunately for me it was early enough in the whole transformation that I didn't have to do a huge empirical study I could do something that was more conceptual and try to help define a few ideas and how they related to each other um, it was and, and that led me to this interest in, uh, in in I suppose what we now call distribution but it was more supply chain management really and uh, and an integrated approach from source to customer um, so it was certainly the interest of my mentor combined with my own interest that led me to this uh, topic and uh, the idea of putting these areas together. Okay. And in terms of um, you know, early on you were the recipient uh, of what's now called the Distinguished Service Award uh, uh -huh. by the organization when first started National Council of Physical Distribution right. Management. How did you get involved in that early logistics group? Well, I, I have a fuzzy memory. Uh, I was not a founder, uh, to my knowledge. I don't think I'm on that list. I believe I at least attended the second meeting of that group. Uh, by that time, it was uh, a full 25 strong or so. I, I don't remember very many people being there. Uh, most of them were academics, uh, but there were a few practitioners uh, there. I believe that four or five papers were actually presented at that meeting. We had a kind of a paper-bound uh, proceedings, as I recall. I may still have a copy of one of those. Uh, and at that meeting, of course, I, I met uh, people like Ed Smike and Don Bowersox and, uh, and some of their, uh, some of our mutual friends. Um, the uh, one thing led to another, and, and after several years, I had presented at several of the meetings, uh, and uh, and we actually then developed an administrative structure. A guy named George Jekowitz. Mm -hmm. you, you remember George? Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, and I, George and I hit it off pretty well. And um, I believe I was program chairman, if I'm not mistaken, for about the 1970 uh, meeting. I believe it was in Philadelphia. One thing I remember about that program, and the one thing that George never let me forget, was that uh, I engaged a speaker that I have had come into contact with through some work on the uh, the Kennedy Foundation which was uh, for Special Olympics and that sort of thing uh, with a guy somewhere down here who had a basically a pyramid selling scheme which had been very successful 
and uh, he gave I had seen him give a talk called Dare to be Great and, uh, and invited him to give this inspirational talk to our what was then the National Council of Physical Distribution colleagues and among other things in the middle of his speech he would jump up on the head table and and uh, engage in some cheerleading activities <laughs> I believe the, the fellow ended up doing a jail term several years later I don't remember <laughs> and George said he had never forgotten that particular uh, session so there were there were some uh, association activities uh, I, I guess uh, some of the general writing I served on a couple of committees I think we developed uh, maybe we, we uh, helped to formulate uh, some ideas for research and that sort of thing that uh, may have led to the nomination and they had uh, I think they had given it to the other early academics in the process and maybe I was one that was left over by <laughs> was it 1972 or whatever it was I don't remember okay very good. Are there other professional organizations that have been influential and important in your career? Well, I suppose the American Marketing Association. I've uh, appeared on several of their programs early on, and uh, uh, have obviously been influenced a lot by uh, the members of that organization and the publications of that organization. Uh, I have not been an active um, uh, member of any other associations. Uh, I've really uh, chosen instead to serve as on the editorial boards of some of the professional association um, publications, uh, Journal of Marketing Research, um, the Journal of Business Logistics going back, uh, the Journal of International Service Management and so forth, and um, have decided to sort of try to contribute in that fashion. Okay. Now, as you look at the logistics and some people would say supply chain management profession mm -hmm. uh, today, what, what do you envision its direction being? Well, um, in a general sense, it seems to me that uh, we're going to be, uh, you mean looking into the future, mm -hmm. we're going to be dealing with um, issues related to certainly the entire supply chain from origin to, to final destination and, the, and it seems to me around a couple of uh, areas, certainly information, that is, the impact of information on the effective performance of a supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, I did a simulation back in the 60s. It, it was basically a simple classroom simulation, collected some data and concluded that, that knowledge of inventory throughout the chain was the single biggest uh, uh, had the single biggest beneficial impact on the performance of the entire chain. So at that time, we really didn't have the capability to, uh, to manage the information through all the players in the chain, let alone the inclination to share it. 
I think there's, uh, we certainly have the capability today, the inclination to share it, it seems to me, is perhaps growing if, uh, if we can prove that it has beneficial effects. And I think probably one big trend in this field will be in sort of comprehensive studies of the impact of information availability on management decisions in the chain. That's one of the things that interests me about the board, the, the, the one board that I do sit on at Limited Brands because we have control of the entire channel from source to ultimate customer and uh, have spent a very large amount of money to develop the capability to manage that inventory through the entire channel and are just now realizing the advantages of it. Uh, and these are advantages that could be realized by independent companies operating as uh, together uh, for a more effective supply chain. I think the other side really has to do with technology uh, going forward and the impact of technology on what we do in the supply chain and how we plan for um, various configurations, obviously energy uh, and the uh, the use of, of energy uh, efficiency as an uh, as a uh, an objective of certain studies will be important, um, uh, which leads us into new technologies as well. Um, uh, we're going to be, I think, uh, uh, focusing on the interplay between technology and human. Inputs the kind that that means the kinds of jobs that people are going to be doing in the supply chain will be changing. The way in which they interrelate with technology uh, will be changing, and so it's going to impact not only our research, I think, but the way we train people uh, to go into the field. Uh, it no longer matters whether you can read a tariff. I think, uh, as opposed to understanding the complexities of, or the possibilities of the effective use of technology. One last question. Have you ever wished that uh, you could be 30 years old again knowing what you know now in order to be part of this future uh, supply chain management, sustainability, all the other things going on in marketing and, and distribution? Oh, well, I think this is, uh, there's never been a more exciting time uh, in terms of the size of the challenges and the possibilities for meeting them. Um, that is, uh, this next generation is going to encounter challenges that we didn't ever even think about. But at the same time, I think. Uh, we will have the technology, the information. Uh, one would hope the, the policies uh, with which to cope with these problems and, uh, and challenges. And it, it, it seems to me this will be an extremely exciting time for research and teaching uh, and learning um, that uh, we can only sort of imagined at this point. Uh, think of it. Uh, ten years ago, we didn't have email, for example. 
it, it seems as if things are moving exponentially and if they continue to do that think what this world is going to be like 10 years from now well Jim thank you very much for sharing with us uh, something that we won't uh, see in your textbooks and articles the other side if you will of the person and we hope that the audience uh, has gotten a richer view of uh, not only Jim Heskett's uh, publications and books and articles, but also the man behind those writings. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, for having me uh, for this interview. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain. Interested in sponsoring this show to help get your message out? Send a note to chris at thescdr.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and certification workshops for you or your team. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring.